Okay, I'll tell you what, I, I thank God for our praise team, and I just love the, the ministry we have here at Music, but I gotta tell you, the best seat in the house on Sunday mornings is right here, because I got the praise team singing, but these kids, and the, they're singing these songs from their heart, and I'm just hearing them singing behind me, praise team singing out to us, you as a congregation, and hearing kids singing verses that you're like, boy, man, if these words stick with them, uh, what a difference it's going to make, you know, for their lives, you know, in the years ahead. I, 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 I really, I enjoy sitting in that spot and, and hearing your children sing out to the Lord. All right, well, I invite you to open up to 2 Samuel uh, in our Bibles, your Bibles, however you may want to look at that portion of Scripture. Uh, those of you online, we are so glad to have you with us. We will be doing a communion today, so if you want to get into your closet and get out some, 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 some of the elements to be able to have communion with us at the end, we, we welcome that. Most of you are aware, mainly because I constantly mention it in my sermons, right, that I, I grew up right down the street here on Spruce Avenue, born and raised here. Uh, my parents are from Kensington, and, uh, and um, they moved here when I was in the womb in uh, 1960, and so um, I was born here on Spruce Avenue and uh, lived the first 24 years of my life there until I got married in 1985. But, so our family was raised here, and in 1979, my oldest brother, Leo, uh, got married. And then uh, in 1981, my oldest sister Kathy got married and my brother Dan got married and uh, so then it was me and Tom and Teresa with my mom and dad uh, there. Now um, a couple years later in 1983 I graduated college and uh, I took a job with Philadelphia College of Bible where I graduated. I was, uh, so I was living at home with my family and headed up to work there each day and then my parents, my dad after years in business uh, left being the general manager of a company and sensed the Lord calling him to be a pastor. And at the age of 50 in the summer of 1983, I was abandoned as a 22-year-old. Uh, no, they, they, moved, I, they moved down to Alexandria. And Teresa with them, I got to say, uh, to be fair to her, she's not here today, I don't think she's here. There. But the transition was toughest on her, no doubt. She was in between 10th and 11th grade in high school. She left all of her high school friends here and went to a school where she knew nobody, went to a church where she knew nobody, <laughs> left all her family here. But it was a transition for me uh, as well uh, in that uh, we had moved them down there. And when I came back, I came back to a house that was empty. And I know you've heard me share this before and some of you have lived through it with me, but, uh, and I with you, um, that... You know, it, you, you walk through the entirely empty house. There was a little room in the back where my parents graciously were letting me stay for free. You know what I mean? Since the college was paying me, I think, $8,000 a year at the time to be an admissions rep. And, um, and, you know, a little bed back there, a little toaster oven, a little, you know. And, uh, but, but I remember this time, it transi transitioned from college into work, but mainly this transition of coming home each day to this empty house. And that's where I might be different than you. Some of you might say, I'm not going into all those empty rooms. That's, I would go into each one of them. 
and I'd walk into the bedroom, oh, let myself feel it, my brother. Now we did a lot of fighting in there, but still, oh, the, what, the life with my brother. Walk into this room, walk in. You know, we were never allowed in my parents' bedroom, so I'd walk in my parents' empty bedroom. And, oh, yeah, walk in there. And for me, it was a time of, and I, I, I mean this, such transition of deepening my gratitude for what I had growing up. Missing the family, but I found myself in those rooms just saying, Lord, sink that, let this time of transition deepen my, found, my foundation of how valuable it is to have a secure childhood, how meaningful it is to be able to be in a loving family. And that time of transition, really, I knew it, but it really did broaden my foundation. It really caused that sense of, of, of taking the time to value just that. Now, we flipped the calendar from 23 to 24, but that's just changing a calendar. Your life may not be in a real transition right now. You may be like, my life is the same as it was last week, and nothing much is happening. I... I but we want to look today at David because David was in a time of real transition. And we're going to have those. Now, sometimes it may just be helpful to how do I face the next day and the next day and the next day. But there are going to be times of transition in life. Now, sometimes we don't like them. We want to be Tevya. Tradition, tradition. And God says, well, I'm sorry. Transition, transition. You know, I'm taking you through a change. And today what we want to see in Scripture is how do you take on transition? Taking on transitions in our lives. I think we see a good example in David. And so I'm going to ask for the Lord to uh, use it in your life. I know he's used it in mine. Father, I thank you for your word and for you are the one who have given us the record of David. You've told us, the Apostle Paul made clear, this is for our well-being, to look at his life and to gain by it. All Scripture's inspired. It's profitable for us. But Lord, I need you to do, we need you to do what only you can do. You are the only one, Holy Spirit, that can take David's life and apply it to ours. You're the only one that can connect all of the different lives in this room besides the lives watching online. And through your moving, can connect them to the life of David. And I ask you to do that for your glory, for our gain, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, in 2 Samuel, we've seen chapter 1 before Christmas, and chapter 2 says this, Then it came about afterwards that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to one of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. So David said, Where shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. David brought up his men who were with him, each with his household, <clears throat> and they lived in the cities of Hebron. Then the men of Judah came, and there anointed David king over the house of Judah." It's important to remember the context, and it's the phrase that points us to that right there in verse 1. Then it came about afterwards, after what has just been unfolding. 
Remember the context we saw in the sermon a couple weeks ago, if you haven't seen it? I'm not self-promoting, but I believe God may use it in your life. A sermon called Good Grief. How do we grieve and see the prophet in it? But, but the, that good grief, David's in the midst of it. He comes back from battle, and Saul, King Saul, uh, Jonathan, the army of Israel has lost to the Philistines. They've been killed. David goes into this lengthy poem of devotion and, 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 and remembering their lives and grieving, right? And, and, and as he does that, we need to realize in, as we're coming to the end, we put the chapters in here that there is not this abrupt, hard break, scene change at, the, at, at chapter 2 and verse 1. I don't know how many of you enjoyed uh, years ago the Blues Brothers, the original Blues Brothers movie. I don't know. I think they did a re the original one with John Belushi, you know, Dan Aykroyd, and it was Jake and Elwood. And they're trying to get the old Blues Brothers band back together, you know. And, and uh, all throughout the movie, they're offending people, and they're, they got people chasing them. But there's this woman that's constantly trying to kill them. And she's after them. At one point, she's got a rocket launcher. She launches it at them. I mean, she's doing everything she can. Well, they finally have their reunion concert and their, their big Blues Brothers concert. And they got police, uh, Nazis. They got everybody that are after them. They're all, you know, country boys like that. And, and, and they're all waiting to get them. And so they try and duck out in their escape. And they're in the, the subway. And it's mucky and muddy. And out she appears, this woman. She's got a machine gun and she's drilling them. But of course, it's a movie. She's missing them. It's good. And they're down, they're facing out on the mud. She says, Jacob, Jake, you left me at the altar. 300 guests, all the money my father paid for that. You left me there. He looks up and he says, it wasn't my fault. I ran out of gas. You know, there was a tornado. And he starts making his way toward her. He gets down on his knees. And, 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 and he takes his glasses, and he lifts them, right? And he does his little, little eyebrow thing. She's got the gun, and she goes, oh, Jake. Oh, Jake, honey. She puts the gun down. He gets up. He hugs her. He has her. He dips her, and he's kissing her in this moment. He looks up at Owen and he goes, let's get out of here. And he drops her in the mud and off he goes, right? I mean, you, you talk about this scene change of, oh, we're finally, and off he goes. I, I share that because that's not what's happening here. I wanted to give you a scene and realize this is verse 27 and verse 1. It's not this moment of David saying, oh, King Saul, Jonathan. All right, king me. King me, it's my turn. It's, a, it's not this drastic contrast. The language that it came about afterwards is even language that lets us see that there is a time that, that David is aware that he's kind of almost sitting in. And it leads me to the first thing I want to say that I really, that, 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 that can help us take on transitions. And the first thing is this, don't rush the moment. Don't rush the moments of life that you're in. Don't rush them. David is, is well aware of what? He was told back in 1 Samuel chapter 16 by Samuel, he was anointed there, right? 
to be the next king. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him. That's David. In the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him with David from that day forward. God has said several times to Saul, I'm pulling the kingdom from you. David's going to be the next king. David knows he's getting the throne. But now is what? A time of transition. A time to consider all that he's been through to get here. I got a text from my son last week, the week before. And in it, he just simply was saying, you know, Hey, Dad, I just wanted to share this with you. And he shared what he got from his employer, Lockheed Martin. And it was basically just a, a notice to him, letting him know, we all see how well you're doing, and we're promoting you to the next, to the next level. But what I loved was what he put, he said, Dad, I just sit and I think, wow, God. God, I can't believe what you've done for me. God, God, I can't. I, 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 I remember, I just, I, I, I can see the whole road, how you've taken me. And I said to him, right, don't, don't ever stop being that way. Don't ever become the person who gets the promotion and is already looking at the next promotion without saying, wow, look what God has done. Look how he has, look at, let me reflect on this. Don't rush the moment. You know, I think Mary gives us some real value when she tells Luke about the Christmas story. And that's really, when we're reading the Gospel of Luke, Luke wasn't there. Dr. Luke comes along through the ministry of Paul. But when Luke becomes a believer, he gets to spend significant time with Mary. And Luke says, I investigated it as an, I got all the eyewitnesses. And you can just picture Luke there with Mary saying, so what happened? So tell me about it. The shepherds, what? I haven't even heard about this. What? And as Mary shares how the Christmas story unfolded, what I love is what Mary makes clear. And what she makes clear is, I didn't rush through the moments. Oh, they were hectic. But what, but what do we, what, if you remember reading in, in the Christmas story, right, in, in the Gospel of Luke, that the shepherds come and they're praising God and off they go. And in Luke chapter 2 and verse 19, we read, but Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. She reflected on them. She sat there and thought, wow, this all began that day when Gabriel appeared to me the angel. And all that God has done to get me to this point, I'm now transitioning into being the mother of this child. But I don't want to rush past all that God has done to this moment. Same thing happens 12 years later, right? Still in the Gospel of Luke, she, they've gone, they brought Jesus with them this time into Jerusalem. They lose him. He's left back there talking with all the priests. And what does Jesus say to Joseph and Mary? I need to be about my father's business. I am now completely aware of my calling, who I am, the son of God, and, and, and what my calling is, what the father's plan is for me. And we read again in Luke chapter 2 and verse 51, he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Time of transition. I'm, I'm no longer raising this little boy. 
I'm going to be heading into a time where I've got to be letting go of him. Right? But what does she say? I don't, there's no, there's that sense of treasuring. When, when, you're, when you're in a transition, don't rush the moments. Don't rush the stages of life. Many of you have newborn and toddlers and young children. I want to say something to you, and I mean it honestly. I miss the dirty diapers. I miss the spilled milk. I miss the carpools, right? You know, I know when you're in it, you may be like, oh, man, I can't wait till we're out of this stage. But the dirty diapers always resulted at least, I didn't appreciate it as much at the time, but in a baby that was now freshly dressed and maybe the smell of you know, baby powder and tucked up nice and comfortable in me, the spilled milk at the table, right? Those ah moments, they always resulted in one of the children that you could see they were repentant and they were wondering, am I still loved? Do I still belong to this family? And you have the opportunity to let them see you're not defined by the accident of spilling milk. The carpools, they always resulted at least toward the end with me and one of my kids in the car, just with them. Don't rush the moments because they don't come back, right? They're eternal. They're eternal, and they'll be part of my relationship with my kids forever in heaven. But don't rush the moments. Let yourself sit in them. You know, on New Year's Day, I was going over this part of the sermon a week ago. And Greta and I were just in the house on New Year's Day, not going anywhere, and we were listening to the end of our Christmas music and Carrie Underwood singing All Is Well with Michael W. Smith, and I'm thinking, I remember when we met Carrie. I mean, it was through television, you know. It was on American Idol, but it was back then. Greta and I would watch the show with our kids, and I'm remembering that, and she's singing All Is Well, and I'm crying Listen, you don't have to be like me. You're allowed to say, that guy, he's a crybaby. You know, that, that's fine. You don't have to cry. And to, but don't rush through the moments of life. You're in a time of transition, and one of the reasons is for you to reflect. Consider. What, what is it that I value? What, what is it that God values? What is it that this moment is meant to teach me? I believe when we read, then it came about afterwards, that that's a phrase that's letting us know, don't think it just was a hard ending to the poem and king me. This was a time of what? Of David going through transition, and David knows God has brought me through all of this. And he's reflecting on it all. And listen, a lot of the things that happened while Saul was trying to kill David, as, as they're, they're going to transition into being qualities in David's life to be a good king, right? Don't rush the moments. But then there's a second thing, right? Dig in to what's next. But it's how we do that. Because in verse 2, again, we see David what? David inquired, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 1. David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to one of the cities of Judah? <laughs> Remember, David knows he's going to follow on the throne. He knows he's supposed to be king over all of Israel. But he, 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 he wouldn't kill Saul when he had the opportunity, because what did he know? It's up to God to make me king. I'm not going to get ahead of God. 
And now that Saul's dead, David doesn't run off and go, all right, everybody. No, David is still saying what? I don't want to get ahead of God. I want to hear from God. I want to know that I have the peace of God. And, and, and that's what we see happening. He digs in. He inquires of the Lord. Now, when, you may, when we read that in your mind, if you're just learning Scripture or whatever, you may think, oh, well, he had it made because God would talk to him. God wasn't talking to David. When David inquired of the Lord, he didn't say, Lord, and the Lord said, what do you want, David? D David went to the priest, and the priest had, at the time, uh, these, this method, these items that were the Urim and the Thummim. And, and I, 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 Urim and Thummim. It sounds like a lunch meat brand, and I'm not sure if, if there is one close to that, but Urim and Thummim, anyhow, it always makes me, that brings it to my mind, right? Like, well, what is Urim and Thummim? You know, but what it was, it, it basically, let's just say it was a couple dice, or a, I, I, what I mean is it was something of that regard. You can study all you want, and you're going to have commentators saying, oh, and after about seven paragraphs, but we're not really sure what it was. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it, it's these, what I mean is it was these items, whether, but they were, they were what God had given to the high priest that were like flipping a coin in one sense. And you might say, wow, I wish, oh, that would be so great if God, if we came to church and you gave us all a coin. And we say, Lord, do I buy the car? And I flip it, heads, yes, buy the car. Life is easy. And, and, but no, it, it was not used for those. It was when they went to the high priest for something specific. But at the heart of it was David wanting to know, what is God saying? And Kenneth Chafin brings that out in his commentary when he says, while the mechanism for discerning the will of God was very primitive in David's day, the motivation behind the request of God was very profound to find God's leadership in the day-by-day -day decisions of life. I want to dig into what's ahead, but I don't want it. The way I dig in, Lord, is with you. I need to hear from you. We have the Bible. No, he says this. Today's Christian has much more help for discerning God's will than David had. We have the Bible, God's written word, which gives insight into God's nature and purpose, moral and ethical stances, which Christians ought to take, and the recorded history of how God had dealt with people in similar circumstances. In addition, we have the Holy Spirit, which is God's gift to all who become his children. In addition to prayer, there's the counsel of the community of faith, the church. Yet with all this help, often people make decisions about their lives without seeking insight through their relationship with God. In other words, how many of us would say, well, I know where I'm, so, the kingdom belongs to me, here I go, without saying, Lord, lead the way. I just want to know, what would you have for me? Dig into his word and, and, and get those principles and foundations in your life that guide your thinking and then lead you to say, Lord, with your word in mind, I bring this before you. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He shall direct your path. What's one of the best ways of knowing, you know, is what? It's just surrender. Lord, I'm, 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 I'm digging into you. What would you have for me? I, I, you know, that passage in Matthew chapter 4, four when Jesus 
calls some of his disciples. Verse 18, now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Go, followed him, right? That, to me, that's like, I, I can look back. You know, one of my early Bibles, I have a note in there, got saved on such and such a day. Made sure I got saved a year later. <laughs> Standing by the refrigerator two years later and really scared. I made sure if I hadn't done it the right way. You know, that, that kind of, But in there, and then I, I dedicated my life. And, and as you grow in the Lord, you realize there's not a day that I dedicated my life. Better not be a day because it's every day. It's every day that I wake up and I'm standing on the beach and Jesus says, Vincent, follow me. Follow me. What, what do you got? What, what, what nets he got in your hand there? What'd you pick up yesterday? Some greed? Did you pick up some, some bitterness? Did you pick up some, what, what'd you, drop it. Surrender, follow me. See, you're in a time of transition. One of the valuable things is don't rush through it, but dig in knowing you're hearing from God. Don't just hear yourself. Why? Because it's so important to remember that that transition that you're going through isn't just about you. What do we read there in verse 3? We read in 2 Samuel 2, verse 3, And David brought up his men who were with him, each with his household. There are a lot of lives that are being changed by this transition in David's life. You know, one of the obvious implications is for a parent. Because... You know, one of the clearest areas of life where you're being watched to see how do you handle transition is your children. Oh, they're not going to come to the dinner table and say, oh, Mom and Dad, uh, Dad's lost his job. I think we're in a time of transition here. I'm going to be watching. You know, they're, 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 but, but, they're, but they're, just, they're just there. But whoever is connected to your life, when you're going through a time of transition... Do the people around you go, all right, hang on, because it's going to be a lot of panic and anger and frustration and, you know, and boy, explosiveness until we get to the other side? Or do the people in your life say, we're okay with change because we've seen dad, mom, we've seen, they're, 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 they're at peace. They're confident in God. They're, they're waiting on him. See, you got to dig in with what's ahead, but with God, because there are other lives that are part of your transition. And how you handle transition is going to impact them. How you handle this may make them bitter toward the Lord. How you handle that may make them bitter toward the church. How you handle that may make them bitter toward the government. How you handle, what, 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 you know, what are they seeing? David realizes this time of transition, God's at work. We're gonna see next week, because we we'll see next week, even though David's supposed to be king over all of Israel, there's people who are not listening to God, and they're already making plans to, be, to set somebody else as the king. But one th wonderful thing about David is he's not running ahead of God. He's saying, Lord, whatever you have, from, if, if you only want me to be the king of Judah right now, then that's what I'll be. 
And it leads to a third thing, and that's don't rush the moments, dig in with what's ahead, but deal with what is past. What do we read there in 2 Samuel chapter 4? The men of Judah came and there anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul. See, when Saul was killed, you know, we, we live in the Western world when our soldiers were in Somalia and their helicopter went down and we saw their bodies being burned and dragged through the streets. From a Western mindset, we just were, this is appalling, as, as it is. But it's, it's not new to the human race. It's what they was, when the Israelites lost to the Philistines, the Philistines took Paul's body and John's body and they, they nailed them up to a wall, right? For everybody to see. And the people, the men of Jabesh-Gilead were brave enough to go and get those bodies and have them treated with honor. And what do we read here? David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed of the Lord because you have shown this kindness to Saul, your Lord, and have buried him. Now may the Lord show loving kindness and truth to you, and also I will show the goodness to you because you have done this thing. So therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant. For Saul, your Lord, is dead, and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. The very first act that David does as king is not to move ahead. It's to look back. In times of transition, as God's bringing you from one place to another, don't rush, dig in and hear God, but have enough humility to stop and look back and say, is there any collateral damage behind me that I, I need to deal with? Be soft enough, patient enough to reflect and say, Jesus said, if you're bringing your offering to the altar and you realize somebody had something against you, go and deal with it. In other words, part of the transition isn't just getting to the next place and saying, okay, I'll try not to do that next time. But rather, it may be looking back and saying, hey, I want you to know, even though I'm, I'm moving here, I want you to know that I'm aware that I want to reconcile. I, 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 want, I want to make whatever this is right, something I, I, I did or handled. Transition. Transitional times. I think a lot of you who grew up when I did might recognize these words right away, and I don't know if they'll impact everyone the same. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away, and he was talking for I knew it, and as he grew, he said, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away, but his smile never dimmed. And it said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know I'm going to be like him. The cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. 
And you know, we'll have a good time then. We came from college just the other day, so much like a man, I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head, and then he said with a smile, what I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? The cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you coming home, son? I don't know when, but we'll get together then, Dad. You know we'll have a good time then. I've long since retired, and my son's moved away. Called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. You see, the new job's a hassle. The kids have the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, my, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. Transitions are going to come. You got to think about the lives that are in the moment with you because they may be saying, don't rush us through this moment. See us. Transitions will come and you need to dig in with what's ahead, but make sure you hear God saying, hey, when you come into me, when you come in to hear me, son, transitions need us to look in the past because there may be a life saying, when you going to reconcile with me? Transitions. Don't rush through the moment. Dig in with what's ahead and hear from God and deal with what's in the past. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the way that you can cause this moment in David's life to reach across the centuries and connect to ours. There's not one of us who doesn't look back and find ourselves, whether in big ways or small, having some regrets or things that we could have done, and that's human. There are none of us that are perfect. But help us to be willing to reflect and not rush ahead. Help us to be willing to rely on you and dig into what you are trying to tell us. Help us to be patient enough to deal with something that may be behind us. We know we can, and we surrender ourselves to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.